Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both our partners are quadriplegics, and after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. So you must be thinking, what is the goal with this group? Our goal is and has always been to establish and nurture a strong network of women around the world who understand and support one another while navigating the SCI life. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission with this podcast is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspective. So join us each week as we tackle deeper discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the WAGS of SEI podcast. Here we go. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases. And they work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource in the spinal cord injury community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You're not just a case, you're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. They are always looking for ways to help improve the quality of life for their clients by providing the support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with insurance and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, and making sure that their clients are doing physically and mentally okay. Wish Our Brain and Spine Law is proud to support WAGS of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way that she can, because she wants you to live your life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure to mention that the WAGS of SCI sent you. This episode is sponsored in part by Camp Possibility. Camp Possibility is a one-week adapted camp for young adults aged 18 to 40 who have spinal cord injuries and their partners. This camp takes place in Martinsville, Indiana and runs from August 1st to 6th, 2021. Registration begins February 1st and there are limited spots available. For more information, visit www.camppossibility.org. That's Camp Possibility or email Lauren at camppossibility.org. You can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, or you can contact us at wagsofsei at gmail.com and we'd be happy to connect you. Hurry as registration begins February 1st until all 24 spots are filled. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today and welcome back to the Wags of SEI podcast with your hosts, Brooke Paget and Elena Polly. Today, we are starting with part two of our interview with Ashley Lyrela. If you missed part one, please, please tune into that. You can find it on our last episode on our website, wagsofsti.com, or through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Now let's pick up where we left off. 
I would love to get into your journey to becoming a mother to Liberty. Um, I know you've always been very open with the rest of us about your journey and your pregnancy and your struggles. And, you know, I think your story is so important for everybody to hear because a lot of women in our community struggle with pregnancy um, and getting pregnant. And it's just this huge mystery for so many people. And did you want to share your story and how you eventually became pregnant and, and, you know, how it started? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, Jake and I always knew that we would need fertility treatment for two reasons. One, because of his spinal cord injury, um, Jake suffers from anti-ejaculation. Um, so we always knew that um, some type of fertility treatment would be in our future. Um, I don't often share this part of my story because it's embarrassing. And if the doctor who did my tubal ligation could talk to me now, he'd probably be like, I told you so. Um, but before I met Jacob, I never wanted children ever. My entire adult life up until I met him was child free is the way to be. Why would anyone have children? I, I just, I never could see myself being a parent and I begged and pleaded to be sterilized. Wait a second. Wait a second. I did not know that about you. You're like, the, <laughs> you seem like the most maternal person ever with like your dogs and just how you are. Like, that's very surprising. And in the group, just so caring, right? Yeah. For this too. Well, that's the crazy thing. Like, I begged to be sterilized. And finally, when I was 27, my doctor was like, okay, I'm retiring. I'll do this for you because I'm going to be retired. And when you regret it later in life, like, I'm not going to have to hear about it. Um, and then I met Jake. And Jake initially said, oh, I never want to have kids either, just because he just never thought that it would be a thing. Um, but the longer we were together and the more we talked about it, we're like, wow, we really do want to have children. And we're like, well, you have a spinal cord injury and I got sterilized. So what are we going to do? And it's kind of one of, I don't, I don't like to say that everything happens for a reason, but in our case, it really did feel like it happened for a reason because, because Jake was with me, we were going to have to do fertility treatments. And because I was with Jacob, we were going to have to do fertility treatments. So it didn't really matter that I had gotten sterilized because we were still going to have to go through everything we went through to get our daughter. Um, and I don't talk about it often because I feel like there's a stigma there that I did this thing and then I changed my mind and then it kind of perpetuates that whole, Oh, look, young people don't really know what they want kind of mentality. Um, now that I'm older and more mature and I have a child and I'm in therapy and all these things like a lot of my desire to not have children came from my childhood and trauma that I experienced and the fear that if I ever had children that I would emulate that onto them. Um, but I now know that's not true. Um, I'm not my parents. I won't treat my children like my parents treated me. Um, and it's so crazy to think now because I could never imagine my life not being a mother. Like it's the absolute greatest joy. And 
um, in a way that's also been very painful for me because like, I think about how much I love my daughter and everything that Jacob and I would do for her. And then like, we think back on our childhoods and how terrible they were and how we were treated and just some of the things that we went through. And so now it's even harder for us to understand what happened to us as children because we could never fathom letting those things happen to our own child. Um, so we knew we would have to do IVF. Um, so Jake had a Tessa done, which is where they go in and surgically extract sperm. Um, they got like five vials. They were like, this is all the sperm you will ever need. And at that point, I had the tubal, but I had no known fertility issues. Um, so we thought it was going to be a slam dunk, bring home a baby first try. We were going to have so many embryos. We weren't even going to know what to do with them all. It was going to be a great experience. Um, once we got into doing the IVF, we found out that I have something called diminished ovarian reserves, um, which is another catch 22 and kind of hilarious thing because there was never any need for me to get sterilized because the odds of me getting pregnant naturally on my own um, with a partner who had no fertility issues was going to be almost non-existent anyways. Um, wow. And so we did our first round of IVF. Um, we actually had really great fertilization rates. Um, but on day four, all of our embryos died. So no embryos. And like, even I was an IE, even like, I didn't know a lot about IVF at that point. Like, I just assumed like you did IVF, you get a baby. I didn't realize at that time, like how many people undergo fertility treatment and still never come home with a baby. So we did IVF the second time. The exact same thing happened. Um, IVF is a very exact science. But they also have a really hard time when things don't work out telling you why, um, because the issues are very hard to pinpoint. Um, at that point in our journey, Jake was not open to any kind of donor material. He, he very much wanted biologically, biological children. Um, it didn't really so much phase me because of my upbringing. Like I knew that DNA doesn't make a family. <laughs> um, and so Amen, we, sister. You know I'll second that one. <laughs> so we decided we were going to switch doctors, do one more Hail Mary. And at that point, if it didn't work, we would consider other options. Um, he had a second surgery done because we thought, well, maybe the sperm quality just isn't that great with the samples we have. Let's get a fresh sample, see if that makes a difference. Um. We had the best round we'd had to date. Um, we actually had an embryo that made it to day five, but it never developed into a blastocyst. So again, we had no embryos. So we'd done this three times to the tune of $150,000, had no embryos, had never made it to a transfer, had no hope of a baby. At that point, we were both just absolutely crushed. Um, at that point, Jake just was still kind of stuck on that whole, I don't want to do donor mentality. Um, so we decided to look into two other options. We decided to Purdue, Purdue, pursue domestic infant adoption and also look at 
um, adoption of legally free children through the foster care system. Um, wow, that's incredible, Ashley. We thought that IVF was expensive. It's absolutely nothing compared to adoption. Oh my gosh. Domestic infant adoption is so crazy expensive. Um, and we were told up front, I mean, people who have spinal cord injuries are chosen by, by, by families all the time to adopt. Um, but we were told up front that we would probably be waiting a very long time and that we may never get chosen because typically if someone's placing their child up for adoption, they want their child to have a perfect family and having a father in a wheelchair is not perfect. So they had prepared us for a very long wait. Um, and then we went through the foster care system in our state. You have to get licensed to become a foster parent, do that whole, whole spiel. Um, and right at the time we finished that, our state temporarily froze adoptions. Um, they were kind of revamping their adoption program. And so everything was on hold for a while. And I just felt like everywhere we turned, we were hitting a roadblock to becoming parents. And so you start having all these crazy thoughts and conversations like maybe this is the universe telling us that we shouldn't be parents because we've been through so much and we still don't have a child to show for it. And kind of like with the ostomy thing, um, even though that came after baby, but it kind of in Jake's same train of thought, like, I never pushed donor material on him because I knew how strongly he felt about it. And then one night we were laying in bed and he just said, what if we do a donor round? Like just to see what would happen. Um, and so we spoke to our clinic, our clinic, you know, they recommend that anyone who's going to do donor anything, rather that adopt an embryo that's already created, use donor eggs, use donor sperm, or like in our case, double donor, which is donor egg and donor sperm. They recommend that you see a therapist that specializes in fertility. So we did that. Um, and then I ask you those hard questions. Like, why do you want to do this? Do you plan to tell your children? How will you tell your children? What happens if you do this? And then like in our case, this would never happen. But what happens if you do this and then you conceive naturally? Like, how will that affect a child that was born through donation or whatever the situation? And so they really made us dig deep and answer a lot of those hard questions that we would have not thought about because not that I didn't not think about how having a child that didn't have my DNA would affect my child, but like they just really made us think and put ourselves in scenarios. Like how will you address it if your child wants to share with others that they're a double donor baby or whatever the circumstances would be. And so we did the therapy, we thought about it, we decided, yep, this is for us. We're going to do it. Um, we picked an egg donor. We picked a sperm donor Two people who don't know each other. Um, and we ended up with six embryos and we did a transfer. We transferred two embryos. They both took, we did lose a twin at five weeks and then we brought home Liberty and, um, 
we talk about her being a double donor baby a lot because we decided with a therapist that that's best for her to know that portion of her identity, um, that two people were selfless enough to help us bring her home. Um, and, but what I've come to realize is it doesn't matter. Like we know she's not our child, but there's nothing on the radar that she's not my child. If that makes any sense. Like sometimes I have to remind myself because I catch myself saying like, oh, she gets that from me. Well, no, no, she doesn't. She doesn't have my DNA. But like we just to us, it's just normal. Like she's just our child. It's it's easy to forget that she doesn't have our DNA, especially with Jake. They both have red hair. She has his little attitude, I swear. Like, I was just going to say that Brooke and I have both kind of discussed this when we've seen some of your posts of Liberty and how so much she looks like you guys. She looks like your baby. She truly does. And the other thing about, you know, not being your genetic child, I know that it, like just just a little bit of like my personal experience with being adopted is I feel like and Dan will say this quite often that a lot of my characteristics come from my environment and my being raised by my mom now. Like there, there are a lot of things that you pick up, right, from your parents. <clears throat> just, just little habits, little quirks, and things that really kind of solidify that that's where you're meant to be. I mean, I tell people this all the time, especially in our WAGS group. There are several women who've ended up down the same path we did and have found out that they can't have biological children and doing double donor may not be for them. Um, but I feel like a lot of people have that fear that they won't love them the same or, or it will be different or their child will resent them or whatever the scenario may be. But like I can say in our circumstance that, like Liberty was always the baby we were meant to have. And I'm not a religious person by any means. So I don't really know what I mean by saying that, but like when I hold her and I spend time with her, like, it's just like, I just know like she was always the child I was meant to have. Like I'm just so at peace with her not being my biological child. And like a lot of people don't even really understand what double donor means. Like, I can't tell you how many times we've explained this to family and they still come back with, but she, but she's your guys is right. You know what I mean? Like people just really don't understand. And so I would tell anyone who is suffering from infertility, whether it's from a spinal cord injury or not, like, your path to growing your family, like it looks different for everyone. And I, I, I'll say it again, like DNA does not make a family. And um, we've had a lot of conversations. We have four more embryos left. We plan to use them all as of right now. I know I'm crazy, but there's no guarantee any of them will take. But Jake and I have thought about that worst case scenario, like worst case scenario, if none of our other embryos take, are we okay with Liberty being our only child? Yeah, probably. Like I would be okay with that, but I could also see us doing foster care or adopting. 
And I feel more, I feel more comfortable and steadfast in that now and feeling like I would, because when I, we first considered it, I was very naive to the process. I did a lot of research, but like, you can probably speak to this, but like adoption is trauma. And like where I was before I had liberty, I don't know if I would have been emotionally equipped or prepared to like help a child through that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I feel like now that I have a child, like I would be better equipped to, because like when we were looking at adoption through the foster care system, like these are going to be older children who are aware that they have other parents. Not that babies are blank slates to begin with, but um, we now know that's not true. <laughs> but like these are kids that know that they had another family and have experienced some trauma typically. Cause I mean, typically you don't right. just end up in the foster care system for no reason. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so I don't know. I just feel like after what we've been through, like we would be better prepared um, to do what we need to do if we were to go to that route to, to help those children adjust and understand and kind of, merge their identities because I don't in some cases obviously there there would be safety concerns right where having access to their past may not be the best thing for them but I feel like with my volunteer work as a cost and stuff in general like trying to erase a child's past is probably not what's best for them like they need to know who they are where they come from and you know, just all those things that make you you, just like my childhood definitely shaped who I am as a person. And like, I can't imagine what it would be like if somebody had tried to erase that for me. Well, the one thing I know about adoption from firsthand is that you need to have a parent who's willing to basically give up their entire life for you because it's never ending process. Um, in my case, it's quite different. Obviously, I was adopted when I was eight. So the majority of who I am as a person and the things that I had experienced were not going to go anywhere. <laughs> and I think sometimes when people speak of adoption, that's why they kind of gear towards babies um, as, as opposed to older children. Um, it's very uncommon to adopt a child um, who's a bit older. But, you know, I uh, from, you know, from the things that I can tell you is that you're right, there is a lot of trauma there, whether it's a past life, whether it's, um, you know, the whole process of being in a foster care system or an orphanage. But then also, if you're adopting, um, <clears throat> particularly overseas, there's a lot of culture shock. There are things that you have to get used to. There's a new language. Um, in your case, you know, it could be even the process of all the steps that these children have gone through and all the places they have gone through and all the people they have met along the way um, who even work within the adoption, um, you know, the, the adoption process or in the foster care system. It's very difficult to, to know what what these children have gone through. But, you know, I full heartedly applaud anybody who's willing to take that on. It's not cheap. 
and I'm not just saying from like the cost, the initial cost of adopting a child, but also the amount of work, the therapy, the support that you need to provide um, throughout your entire life until, you know, they're adults and, and you never know. I mean, it's, it's a big investment and I'm, I'm kind of like you, I would definitely lean towards adoption. Um, you know, Dan and I are kind of in the same same perspective as how you guys were. We're like, well, do we really want kids? I don't know. I think Brooke, even you and Evan are kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want kids, you know, like maybe I'm I'm good the way things are now. But for anybody who's willing to explore that, there are definitely some very serious conversations to have around that. Um, it's not just, you know, you adopt the child as an accessory sort of a thing. Um, it's it's a big long term commitment, but so gratifying. And so needed. So needed. So needed. There's so, so many children out there without um, families, without parents for all sorts of reasons. So that's a very good point to bring up, Ashley. Jake gets a lot of kudos for doing basic dad things. Um, and we laugh about it. I think it offends him just a little bit. But I don't think it has to do with him just being in a wheelchair that is offensive. Um, I think he, he, like me, feels that a lot of men get a pass on parenthood. Or that the bar is too low for men. Um, but I can honestly say, I feel like Jake having a spinal cord injury makes him a better parent. Um, just because of the adversity that he's faced and the things that he's went through and the things that he's had to overcome. Um, I know that we already kind of deal with this with Liberty. Like she, she's struggling to crawl. Um, part of that's my fault because anytime she starts to struggle, I want to ease that struggle for her. Um, and so Jake, you know, has had to have conversations with me. Like, I know you think you're helping her, but you're not helping her. Like you need to let her struggle a little bit. Otherwise she's never going to figure it out. But I'm just like, oh, I don't want her to be sad or I don't want her to fuss or I don't want her to be unhappy. And he's like, but you're doing her a disservice because when she's an adult, she's going to have hard moments. And he's like, you're not always going to be there to come to a rescue. And so he just gives me that different perspective on parenthood that you have to let your kids struggle. You have to, you have to give them the tools to succeed, but you have to have them put in the work, if that makes any sense. I love that you said that because there's a lot of women that post about this on the group about um, being fearful of you know, having, it's always, they always say that they're fearful about having a child with someone who can't play with them as in other dads, as how other dads do, or who can't be physical with them and stuff. And so I'm really glad that you brought this up because that's a really great point. Um, how, what he's gone through makes it so he's not only a great parent to Liberty, but he's also someone that can coach you and show you a different perspective. And that just makes, you know, such a great parent, such a great husband. Um, and I think that's, you know, a really, really important point and such a great positive to take away. And also like Liberty is not going to know the difference, you know, that's her dad, right? Jake is her dad and he is who he is and she's never had any other dads. So, <laughs> right. 
I mean, she's not going to know the difference. And I think that is a, a benefit um, to having children post-accident as to pre-accident because she's not going to have her own trauma related to losing out on cer- certain aspects of her dad um, because right. the wheelchair is going to be all she's ever known. Um, but it has a lot of perks too. Like she like forever has a built-in perch if her legs get tired or um, just, I don't know. She just like, uh, we had Jake dress up as Santa Claus cause of COVID and like most kids are like terrified of Santa. Right. And like, at first she like started to cry, but then like she looked at his wheelchair and then she's like, Oh, my dad has one of those. It's fine. I can like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think she realized it was Jake, but she just made the connection like, Oh, dad has a wheelchair. That must be okay. Like I like my dad. So you must be okay too. Um, But I don't know. When there's a will, there's a way. Uh, Jake has blown me out of the water with parenting. Um, There are a lot of days I would go out on a limb and say he's the better parent. Um, Mostly because he does have a very childlike sense of wonder to him. Um, He he doesn't get stressed out by things like I do. Life is a big game, a big joke, a big live every day to your fullest. And I think it comes from that near death experience that he had. Um, Absolutely. He just realizes like you have to make the most of every day, um, whatever that looks like for you. And don't sweat the small stuff, which for my personality type is very hard to accept. But I'm making progress. You know what? And that's all that matters, right? Is just day to day making some sort of progress, even when you're not really, you're so aware of like, you're just, you're aware of your struggles and that's really all that matters, right? You're not trying to cover it up. You're aware of it, which is, I don't know. I think that's the whole point of being a human being is being aware. And I, you know, I don't know if you want to get into this and discuss, um, what Jake has told you about his experience, his near death experience. Cause you know, I know I can't, you can't speak for Jake. Um, but it's interesting that you talk about how he lives day to day and you think it's cause of his near death experience, because I share a lot of similarities with your personality. Actually, I'm, I'm naturally a worrier. Um, I'm naturally someone that, <laughs> you know, has spent a lot, a huge portion of my life looking ahead. And I feel like Evan shares a lot of characteristics to Jake where, you know, he says, and he's very open about it. He said that his accident and how he almost died made it so that he's not afraid of death. He has no fears surrounding that. Whereas I'm kind of like, ah, I worry about stuff like that, right? I worry about him. I worry about me. And it's, it's interesting um, that perspective shift and how he actually helps me. And I can see that Jake actually helps you in a way to just be like, wait a second, I don't need to worry about this. I don't need to sweat the small stuff. Like, look at this person, you know, he has no legs and a spinal cord injury and he's blissfully happy. Right. Um, Do you want to get into Jake's injury and accident? Would you feel comfortable talking about that? Yeah. So Jake, uh, Jake also kind of had a tumultuous childhood. 
um, which led him to joining the military right out of high school. Um, he joined the military, went through basic, went through AIT, got his first duty station. He was there for two months and then they said, pack your bags, you're going to Iraq. Um, he was a combat engineer. Uh, he was over there in 2008, 2009. Um, so in 2009, uh, things had kind of calmed down in Iraq. It wasn't as tumultuous anymore. So they moved his unit to Afghanistan where things, it's like the wild west. Um, and he was there for a couple months and then they were out on a mission and their vehicle stopped in the road and the road had been replaced with a bomb. And when they stopped, it was detonated. Um, he doesn't have a lot of memory from what happened. In fact, I don't think he has any memory from what happened. Um, he, he just remembers waking up in a hospital, um, like them coming in telling him he was paralyzed at that point, he was more concerned with his battle buddy who had died in the incident. Um, he wanted to know where he was, how he was that kind of thing. It was more concerned about the other people who were with him than it was about him. Um, and he had some hard times. I mean, he was 19 when he got injured. So he was very young. Um, had never had a driver's license, had never had a girlfriend. Like he literally had his whole life before him. Um, and so he was like learning a new normal when most kids his age are like carefree and just out partying and drinking and going to college and dating and like doing all this fun stuff. Like his world was literally turned upside down and he did have some hard times um, from what he's told me, um, some of which was so bad, like, cause you're still in the military when you're in the VA hospital after you get injured, like they had to come in and give him a couple what fors about how he was treating nurses and other people. Um, cause obviously he was in a dark place, very depressed. I mean, he refused to learn how to cath himself for a very long time before he ended up with the neurogenic bladder, like just all that like grieving process that you go through. Um, and he's kept in touch with a few people from his unit, obviously, but not a lot. And um, I apologize if you can hear my child screaming in the background. It's okay. Um, but uh, Jake's unit in 2019, um, his platoon decided to have a reunion. And at first Jake was like, I'm not going to go. I haven't talked to any of these people in years. Um, I, I just don't know. Like he had a lot of anxiety about going and I was like, you know, I think it would be good for you. I think you should go. I want to go. Your brother stationed out there. We can visit your brother while we're out there to be fine. Um, and it wasn't until we went to that reunion that I actually saw a lot of healing in my husband, but even more so like all these people that he hadn't kept in contact with. A lot of them had just not spoken to him because of like survivor's guilt, like, oh, I walked away with all my limbs 
like, what could I possibly say to this guy, this young kid? Um, Wow. I can't imagine that. That literally had his whole life turned out. And so like, I don't, it was very emotional to be there and like see him reconnect with these people. And it just, it makes me emotional. Sorry. Like the healing that took place because it was crazy. The number of those guys that like blamed them for what, like blamed themselves for what happened to Jake. And so Jake was able to tell them like, I don't blame you. Like it wasn't your fault. Like you didn't make this happen to me. And like, I, 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 it was just for him, I think, because he'd always said like, oh, I forgive the person who did this to me because he said the bo- the road had been replaced with a bomb. Like somebody had to wait for them to stop there and then physically push a button to net- detonate that bomb. So like somebody had to make the conscious decision to do that. And like Jake's always said, like, I don't know who that person is, but like, I forgive that person. Um but I think reconnecting with those people that he spent time with overseas just really like concreted that ability to heal for him. Um, And I know that he was like one of the people that he served with um, has an alcohol problem now. And part of that stems from Jake's incident and the guilt that he felt that he couldn't have done more to prevent it. And so it's been nice to like see him and Jake like rekindle that relationship and like help each other and like watch this person get better and like realize that they don't have to hate themselves and they don't have to loathe themselves when it wasn't really his fault kind of thing. And so just even in the five years that I've known Jake, like I've watched, he's always been this great bubbly, happy person, but like I've truly watched him like grow and blossom into like this amazing man. And I don't know. I could just ramble. Well, you (laughs) know what, Ashley, it's really inspiring. Um, And I know there's going to be a lot of, you know, combat wives, that are listening to this. And I think you provide a lot of hope and also like, I mean, there's no question Jake's an amazing person, but you're also an amazing person and you would not be the understanding, compassionate, honest person that you are today um, without, you know, having him there and changing your life as well. So I, I feel like, it's just really, really inspiring to other couples out there. So thank you for sharing that. Um, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Absolutely. And Ashley, before we wrap up, we just want to say if there is one piece of advice you could give to other WEGs of SCI or other women Um, other VA women or anybody going through IVF and everything you've been through, if there was one piece of advice, what would you say? That's a hard one. Um, I think what I've learned from all the adversity that I faced in my life is no matter how hard things get, no matter how much heartache you feel, in my experience, at least, there's always something on the other side. It might just look different than what you planned, 
Um, my life today is not where I saw myself 10 years ago by any means. I was going to be a strong, independent, self-sufficient woman who didn't need no man. Um, and now I'm just over here living the domestic goddess life, chasing a toddler around and taking care of my husband and trying to be Pinterest mom of the year, even though I'm really bad at it, you know? So, um, I don't know what I believe is out there. Like if people have a destiny or a calling or any of that stuff, but, um, the life I have now, I feel like now at peace where I am is where I was always meant to be. Like if I could go back and tell my younger self, like you just wait because <laughs> life's not turning out anything like you thought it was going to, like, I would just like to see my face back then. <laughs> Aw, that's, that's great. Great advice. Really yeah, great. That really is great advice. Well, it's been really nice having you on today, Ashley Layerla, who is our ambassador, WEGS of SAI ambassador, VA wife, and an IVF mom. You have shared some heart opening, just very honest advice, and your story is so incredibly beautiful. Um, thank you so much for coming on and just being so open and honest with yeah. us and all of our listeners today. You know, these are the kind of stories that we all sometimes need to hear to kind of put our lives into perspective. And like you said, if you could tell yourself your yourself 10 years ago that there there will be life, there will be purpose, things will make sense. Just trust the process. I think that is just incredibly valuable. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks again, Ashley. We're really excited um, to talk to you today. And we've learned so much more about you that we didn't even know. So thank you again for being so honest. And um, we know that with this podcast, you're going to help so, so many women, so many men, so many couples. Um, and I'm going to be thinking about this for the whole week, pretty much. Um, this is, you got me really emotional and this was a great, this was a great talk. So thanks again. Um, for everybody who's listening right now, if you have any questions for Ashley, you can find her, um, on Instagram. You can find her on the Wags of SCI page. You can find her on our Facebook private group. Again, she is a moderator there. So if you ever want to message her or privately direct message her, she's always there. She's always listening. Um, she's an amazing woman and we're very thankful for her. Um, so if anyone has any questions for us or want to get connected with Ashley privately, if you don't have any social profiles, please email us at wagsofsci at gmail.com and we will connect you with Ashley. Um, and you can also visit our website, wagsofsci.com and follow us on Instagram at wagsofsci. So thank you so much for tuning in to another podcast with the Wags of SEI. This episode is proudly sponsored by Wishart Brain and Spine Law. If you or somebody you know has sustained a personal injury, please reach out and we will directly connect you to Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Until next time, have a beautiful week ahead. Hey guys, let's take a moment to highlight a cause that is near and dear to our hearts. For the love of parking led by our ambassador, Rebecca Mina is an advocacy media outlet that focuses on creating awareness about disability access 
while also sharing access to important information from our community. For the Love of Parking encourages their followers to tag them in any access barriers or issues in order to add to the virtual diary that is being created for the end goal of updating ADA laws. Head over to the website where they have tons of great information, including medical grade percussors. In fact, both of us use them for ourselves and our partners. Percussors help to reduce inflammation, move the lymph, help with spasms. They also assist in bowel and bladder care and so much more. Did I mention that it makes massage easier on our hands? Use code WAGS of SCI on the website for a discount. You can like and follow For the Love of Parking on Facebook and Instagram and use hashtag don't park like a punk. The advocacy and outreach group Wags of SCI is currently a volunteer-based operation. We raise funds year-round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our Wags, including counseling, and our amazing meetups led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website, wagsofsci.com, or donate directly to the Wags of SCI GoFundMe page. We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of SCI couples worldwide.